Today, we're talking about this poor kid's pursuit of just getting a new friend, Senator Tuberville's unhinged interview where he defended white nationalists, Microsoft and Sweden scored massive wins today. We're gonna talk about all that and so much more on today's brand new Philip DeFranco show, you daily dive into the news, so buckle up, hit that like button, and let's just jump into it. Starting with, Microsoft just scored a massive win in its fight to buy Activision Blizzard. Are we talking about that absolutely monster $69 billion acquisition, and since December, the FTC has been trying to keep the deal from going through, arguing that it would enable Microsoft to suppress competitors to its Xbox gaming consoles and its rapidly growing subscription content and cloud gaming business. And with that, a federal judge last month granted the agency's request for a temporary restraining order to block the merger until a preliminary injunction on the matter could be ruled on, which was very notable since Microsoft had until July 18th to close this deal. Otherwise, it would owe Activision a $3 billion breakup fee. But the massive news we got today is that the judge has now officially denied the FTC's bid for that preliminary injunction. Specifically, the judge ruling that the FTC had failed to prove that the merger may substantially lessen competition, meaning that this deal can go through, although it is not the end of the battle. And that's because the FTC actually has another court proceeding ongoing to actually challenge the merger. Or the one that was just denied was just a fight to put a temporary stop to any merger until this actual challenge is decided in court. Which is also why I'll say, if this sounds like a confusing web of court cases that all seem to do the same thing, it's because it is. It's just how the system works. But if the FTC wins this other challenge, then it could still kill the deal even after a merger takes place. So a very big win, but not the end of the road. And then, you tell me if this is a happy story or it's still just a heartbreaking story. So if you've struggled or you're struggling to make friends, you may relate to Shaden Wong. My guy Shaden just wants some friends. And while in reports he's described as an 11-year-old boy in a Jaws t-shirt, I like to call him the walking embodiment of courage on earth. Because Shaden not only wants friends, he's willing to go and put himself out there. With him in fact being caught recently on a ring doorbell, knocking on his neighbor's door and asking. Um, I just wanted to see if you, if you knew any kids around like... 11 or 12 maybe because I need I need I need some friends like really bad right, he's just lonely so rather than wallow away in his sadness he goes from door to door asking for a friend and the homeowner in this video suggesting he should try the two kids who live down the road but then Shaden reveals that they aren't his friends anymore because they bully him with him also later with the story growing telling CNN what my life was like before was kids were manipulating me and telling me that they will be my friend but when they when they ask me to do something horrible it's just, I don't feel like they're actually my friend. And the homeowner doesn't have any kids around Shaden's age, so instead he posts the video to TikTok and it goes absolutely viral, with the video getting tens of millions of views, and then he sets up a GoFundMe for Shaden, saying that it's to raise money for a gaming console, school clothes, amusement park tickets, and that raises $37,000, which resulted in a lot of people going, there we go, beautiful bow on this story, but also a lot of people going, the guy wants friends. $37,000 is great, but that's not friends. And describing the situation as just another example of people throwing money at a problem rather than solving it to some degree. And so regarding that aspect of the story, Shaden says that he's gonna actually donate most of the money to charity. His self-confidence has gone through the roof, though it's unknown whether he's found the buddy that he's looking for. But also with this, his mother wanted this story to spread to try to raise awareness about the scourge of bullying and the crippling effects it can have on young kids. And saying about her own son. He's been hospitalized because the bullying was so bad and he felt so isolated. If you see it, just advocate for that person. Just be there for that person. Do not let that person suffer. And then you've got Alabama Senator Tommy Tuberville back in the news today, and it's not because he's single-handedly jeopardizing military readiness like we talked about yesterday. Instead, this time it's because he refused to say that white nationalists are racist. Right, so let's break it down. Yesterday, Tuberville did an interview on CNN with Caitlin Collins. And there, she pressed him on comments that he made back in May during an interview with a local Alabama public radio station where he condemned the Pentagon's efforts to keep white nationalists and extremists out of the armed services. Right, because military leaders have become increasingly worried about extremism among their own ranks, something that's worthy of its own separate deep dive. And this has been a huge 
huge growing concern, especially after January 6th, with the defense secretary taking steps to crack down on right-wing extremism in particular, which is something that really, really upset Tuberville, who told the local radio station, we are losing in the military so fast, our readiness in terms of recruitment. I can tell you why. Because the Democrats are attacking our military, saying we need to get out the white extremists, the white nationalists. And then when other reporters asked about those comments later, and if Tuberville really thinks white nationalists should serve in our armed forces, he responded by asking for the definition of white nationalism, and then he refuted that definition, saying, you think a white nationalist is a Nazi? I don't look at it like that. I look at a white nationalist as a Trump Republican. That's what we're called all the time, a MAGA person, which is a pretty fucking wild thing to say because he could just Google white nationalism. Or he could go to Wikipedia and see the literal definition. But also what's even crazier is that he doubled down on those claims in the CNN interview yesterday, where again, he tried to argue against the literal definition of white nationalism, with him saying that he definitely 100% opposes racism. But then trying to claim that the term white nationalist is just an identity politics buzzword, with that saying that he thinks that anyone who wants to serve in the military should just be able to, which is something that prompted this interaction that you kind of just have to see to believe. But just to be clear, you agree that white nationalists should not be serving in the U.S. military. Is that what you're saying? If, if people think that a white nationalist is a racist, I agree with that. I agree they should A white shouldn't. nationalist is someone who believes that the white race is superior to other races. Well, that, that's some people's opinion. Uh, and I don't think, that's I mean, a lot. Uh, pardon? What's your opinion? My opinion of a white nationalist, if somebody wants to call him white nationalist, to me is an American. It's an American. Now, if that white nationalist is a racist, I'm totally against anything that they want to do because I am 110% against racism. But I want somebody that's in our military, that's strong, that believes in this country. With him then going on to again condemn Democrats for using what he called identity politics to divide the country, to which Collins responded. But that, that's not identity politics. You said a white nationalist is an American. It is identity politics. You said a white nationalist <laughs> is an American, but a white nationalist is someone who, who believes horrific things. You don't, do you really think that's someone who should be serving in the military? Well, that's just a name that has been given. I mean, it's not. Listen, it's a real. It's a real definition. There's real concerns about So if about you're going to do away with most white people in this country out of the military, we got huge problems. It's not. We it's got not, huge problems. It's not people who are white. It's white nationalists. That have a few probably different beliefs. Right? That have that have different beliefs. Now, if racism is one of those beliefs, I'm totally against it. I am totally against racism. But, but that there's is, a lot that of people white, that believe in different things. is racist, Senator. Well, th that's your opinion. It's genuinely like she's talking to a fucking wall. Though you do have a number of people divided here on Tuberville, wondering if this is more of a wink-wink, nudge-nudge, proud boys stand back and stand by moment, or is it the moment that everyone kind of learns that Tuberville is actually the dumbest person in Congress? Though to be fair, we can't award him the prize because there are a lot of dumb motherfuckers in Congress. And unfortunately, this story is not going to be the last of what ends up being kind of a recurring segment in the news, are they evil or just stupid? Though sometimes it's actually both. Though actually, y'all, this is a last second update to the story. This broke as I was uploading today's show. It appears that someone or maybe even a group of people locked Tuberville in a room with a dictionary and he has now said, white nationalists are racist. Good job, Tommy. You have now officially done the bare minimum. And then, with summer in full swing, many of you beautiful bastards out there are gearing up for vacation or perhaps you're making more time to explore your surroundings. And weather and the elements shouldn't be a hurdle for you when you're traveling or traversing your hometown. And that's exactly where the fantastic sponsor of today's show, Vessi, comes in. Because Vessies are your whatever life has in store sneakers. They're lightweight, waterproof, and snowproof, so you can enjoy the outdoors anywhere, in any weather. You know, I've been rocking the boardwalk sneakers. They're laceless and easy to get on and off. And they really do feel like you're just wearing a sock, so you barely notice you're wearing them at all. And with kid sizes in a wide assortment of colors and styles, they're great for the whole family. I also really love that the Vessi team helped to support freshwater programs around the world with over 22 million liters of drinking water provided by clean water projects funded by the Vessi community. So join the movement today and check out the Vessi boardwalk and other styles at Vessi.com slash DeFranco. And 
get 15% off your entire order. Go get your style and size now. And then, fellow nerds, heed this warning. We are on the verge of a historical catastrophe. Because according to the Video Game History Foundation, 87% of retro and vintage games are at risk of being lost forever. With them reportedly coming up with this number by looking at a random sample of over 4,000 titles across a range of years and hardware. And I apologize in advance, this is gonna make a, a lot of you feel old. I'm not talking about just like old games like Commodore 64 and Atari 2600. I'm talking about like even as recently as PlayStation 2. Because apparently only 12% of the games published on the platform, which is the most popular ever, are readily available today. When you go further back to something like the Game Boy Portable, it's just 6%. Right? And for older consoles, it kind of makes sense. Less popular games just aren't bought and sold and eventually they work their way out of circulation. But in the digital age, it's hard to see how newer games get lost forever. So there, you just have to see what happened to the 3DS and Wii U to get an idea of how that happens. Or when Nintendo closed their online shops, upwards of 1,000 unique games were just snuffed out. And so as far as a solution, well, the Video Game History Foundation is pushing for clearer legislation that makes it easier to archive and share older titles. With them pointing out that libraries and archives can digitally preserve, but not digitally share video games and can provide on-premises access only, which is obviously in stark contrast to movies or books, which can be freely distributed by libraries. So there, it's believed that the only reason there is a difference is because of the lobbying by video game lobbying groups. And there's hope that at the next rulemaking proceeding for the DMCA, which is in 2024, the new guidelines for archiving games are going to be made. And in the meantime, if you have a collection of older titles, maybe just don't toss them out. And if you're someone that uses ROMs and emulators, you're not a thief. You're essentially a historian. Also, my lawyer would like me to let you know that was a joke and in no way do I endorse uh, that. And then the Biden White House is conspiring to cover up Uncle Joe's ties to the Chinese Communist Party. That is what Republicans are claiming today after the Department of Justice accused a key witness in the House Oversight Committee's probe into Hunter Biden's dealings with China of being a Chinese agent himself. With a witness at the center of that story being Gao Luft, a U.S.-Israeli dual citizen who was the co-director of a strategic think tank in Maryland. And for a time, he also consulted for CEFC China Energy, an oil and gas conglomerate with reported ties to the Chinese government. And according to Luft, he alerted the FBI to the Biden family's deals with the company during a meeting at the U.S. Embassy in Brussels in 2019, with him claiming that he was able to confirm Hunter Biden's dealings with the company, including meetings with officials and dollar amounts of deals that were completed. Also alleging that a mole inside the FBI known as One Eye, because they literally had one eye, tipped off Hunter's contacts at CEFC about probes into their dealings with the younger Biden. Some of those allegations were backed up by the infamous laptop and other documents reviewed by the Washington Post that show Hunter's ties to the company, with CEFC and its executives paying $4.8 million to entities controlled by Hunter and his uncle James over 14 months starting in 2017, with Hunter being accused of leveraging his father's name in negotiations, but also so far there's no conclusive evidence that Joe Biden, who was neither VP nor president at the time, knew about or benefited from his son's dealings. But with all that said, Luke claims that he came to the FBI with this information, but instead of following up on it, they harassed him and finally arrested him in Cyprus in February, and with that, charging him with willfully failing to register under the Foreign Agents Registration Act, arms trafficking, Iranian sanctions violations, and making false statements to federal agents. But then, after getting released on bail, he fled and his whereabouts are currently unknown. And also in a video posted by the New York Post last Wednesday, he claimed that the White House is trying to prevent him from testifying before Congress because it knows that he'll reveal the Biden family's corruption and him openly daring the DOJ to do this. Why won't the DOJ make my indictment public? Do it. Make my day. Put it on your website so that every American can see the nature of the allegations against me, the quality of the evidence, and the length the government is willing to go to weaponize the justice system to punish whistleblowers like me. And on Monday, it did just that, revealing that among other crimes, Luft allegedly agreed to covertly recruit and pay a former high-ranking government official and Trump advisor to publicly support policies that would benefit China without registering as a foreign agent. Or to put it in other words, prosecutors are saying that he's actually guilty of the very same thing that he's accusing Hunter Biden of, and Trump was in the White House when it happened. With Luft saying the Trump advisor in question is former CIA director James Woolsey, who also notably worked as a consultant for Luft's think tank. And then you also have the DOJ alleging that Luft brokered arms deals between Chinese companies in Libya and the United Arab Emirates. And notably, 
state. If he is convicted on all eight counts, he faces up to 100 years in prison. But yeah, I, I hope you enjoyed this giant, absolute mess of a story that's still developing. And of course, in the meantime, I'd love to know your thoughts on this news. And then, well, the bulk of the Trump news today is that his lawyers are trying to get an indefinite postponement regarding the documents trial, which is understandable. That's very big news. There's a lot of speculation as to what Judge Aileen Cannon's going to do, especially because not only is she overseeing Donald Trump's case, he literally nominated her back in 2020. And if a delay was approved, it could push the trial to the final stages of the 2024 campaign or even beyond, which would have massive implications. And as the New York Times explains, there could be complications of a sort never before presented to a court if Mr. Trump is a candidate in the last legs of a presidential campaign and a federal criminal defendant on trial at the same time. If the trial is pushed back until after the election and Mr. Trump wins, he could try to pardon himself after taking office or have his attorney general dismiss the matter entirely. But also, in addition to that, Trump could be on the verge of yet another indictment, with two grand juries being seated in Georgia today to decide if Trump and or any of his allies will face criminal charges in their effort to overturn the 2020 election in the state. And this is very big news because it marks the beginning of the end for the massive sweeping investigation that Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis launched more than two years ago. And what's more, it also represents one of the last of the remaining major legal threats hanging over Trump's head, with Willis even suggesting in the past that any indictments would come in August, which, I mean, if Trump is indicted, it would mark the third time in just the last year. And so for now, we're gonna have to keep our eyes on this and wait to see how it plays out. And then, is Google pulling a Nestle and stealing all the water? Because that's what locals in Uruguay are claiming after it was revealed that Google was going to use upwards of 2 million gallons a day to cool a planned data center in the south of the country, with that notably being enough water for 55,000 people. And making matters worse is that it was supposed to come from the public drinking water, which, hey, in many places around the world, would not be that big of a deal. But you might remember, we talked about this about a month ago. Uruguay is in the middle of a massive drought, right? The worst in 74 years. In fact, it's so bad that in places like the capital, they've had to add salt water to their drinking supplies. Now with this, the government and Google have tried to calm people down by claiming that the data center is actually gonna be smaller than originally planned and therefore is gonna use less water. But for many there, it's not just Google's data center that's the problem. Right? With many there, just seeing this is another sign that the government prioritizes corporations and agribusiness over everyday people. And as one researcher at a major university in the capital pointed out, only a tiny proportion of water in Uruguay is used for human consumption. The majority is used for big agro industries such as soya, rice, and wood pulping. And it really seems like it's just a matter of time before things get really bad there. I mean, because last week, the government even announced that at some point, the tap water would stop being fit to drink. And while they didn't say exactly when, considering the reservoirs are like 2%, it would likely be soon. And considering the fact that many people there can't afford bottled water, this is just like a powder keg. Something has got to give, otherwise it's gonna blow up. And then, months of NATO drama may be finally coming to an end. And that's because we just got word that while attending the ongoing NATO summit, Turkish President Erdogan agreed to letting Sweden into the alliance with seemingly no caveats. With that last part being very important because for nearly a year now, Turkey's been making demands to let Sweden join. Right, at first, saying Sweden needed to stop letting pro-Kurdish groups that it claims are linked to terrorists exist in Sweden and extradite certain people. Then it was to go back on its commitment to free speech and force people to stop burning Qurans, which to be clear was described as outliers only happening a handful of times. Then, just before the summit, Erdogan tried to link Sweden's NATO bid with Turkey's decades-long desire to join the EU. Though there, both NATO and the EU made it clear that despite a lot of overlap, those are two separate processes. So in the end, Turkey's plan to try and get something out of Sweden may have actually worked despite getting none of the things that they were publicly asking for. And that's because during this entire saga, the U.S. agreed to send Turkey a ton of F-16 fighter jets. But notably, it wasn't official official until right after Erdogan agreed to let Sweden join NATO and the F-16 deal was back on. Though officials in both countries deny that there was any link between the F-16 deal and Turkey letting Sweden join. But for many, the, the timing really seems suspect. Not that it really matters. With people saying, you know, we're probably going to send those jets anyways, but if it smooths the entire shit show out, could be worth it. And that is where your daily dive into the news is going to end. But for more news you need to know, I got you covered here. And if you've already seen it all, don't worry, because my name's Philip DeFranco. You've just been filled in. I love yo faces, and I'll see you right back here tomorrow.